Spotlight on Broadway Radio. I'm your host, Jenna Tessa Fox. This summer, comedy star Rita Rudner is coming back to New York to star in Two's a Crowd, an original musical comedy at 59 East 59th Street Theaters. Rudner is best known as a comedian, but her performing career actually began in dance and on Broadway. After graduating from high school at 15, Rudner came to New York City to be a dancer and then appeared in the original productions of Promises, Promises when she was 17, Follies, The Magic Show, Mac and Mabel, So Long, 174th Street. She took over the role of Lily St. Regis in the original production of Annie and stayed with the company for more than a year, leaving in 1981 to launch her comedy career. As a comedian, she's had specials on HBO, she's appeared on Late Night with David Letterman and on Johnny Carson shows, she's published several best-selling novels and non-fiction books, and she's now written the book to a musical with her husband, Martin Bergman. Two's a Crowd follows a couple forced together by a computer error who wind up on location in Las Vegas, and perhaps not so coincidentally, Las Vegas is where she holds the record for being the longest-running solo comedy show in its history. Ms. Rudner, thank you so much for being here with us today. My gosh, I don't have to say anything. You know everything. I've done my research. So, you certainly have. <laughs> so I would like to start by talking about your early career. You moved to New York as a teenager to be a dancer. That had to be intimidating. Uh, what was it like to be 15 years old in the big city and pounding the proverbial payment? You know, it was. I wouldn't recommend it for other people, but for me, it worked out just fine. I had extenuating circumstances. My mother had died, and my father had a new wife, and I wanted to be a dancer in New York. And it was very hard to be a dancer in New York if you lived in Miami. And I started ballet at four, and I was in ballet companies. And by the time I was um, actually 14, I was skipping school and taking buses to Miami Beach to be, I got in a show, Stop the World, I Want to Get All. I, you know, I was just really pig, pig-headed, bull-headed, wanted to do what I wanted to do. And um, I had been to New York the year before with my best friend and her mother, so I knew all the dance classes I wanted to take. I knew how to get around the subways and the buses, and I just said, this is what I want to do. I'm doing it. However, my daughter is 17, and I don't leave her. I, if I leave her alone and she doesn't text me for two hours, I go, where is she? What is she doing? So, you know, it's different thing, different strokes for different people. Sure, I imagine. And and what was that like? Uh, Fifteen years old, and you know, you stepped off what a, a bus, a plane, and did you get to a? Yeah, and I started at the Barbizon Hotel for Women, and uh, in fact, my first novel, which is called Tickled Pink, which is. I don't know how I thought of this theme. It was about a 15-year-old coming to New York to be a dancer and winding up a comedian. <laughs> I've never <laughs> so heard that I, story. <laughs> uh, yeah, how did I figure that out? So um, I, just, I just knew what I wanted to do, and I knew where I wanted to go. I started buying the newspapers for auditions, and I got in a show called Zorba. By the time I was in about four months, I was 16, and I went on a tour for a, over a year with Cheetah Rivera and John Rayton and Zorba, and I was a swing girl. Oh, my God. What was that like? Wow. It was really fun. It was like I had 25 parents because I was <laughs> I was 16 and everybody else was much older, so everybody was looking out for me. I had a very nice roommate, and I bought a dog, so I had someone to talk to. And um, I didn't really buy a dog. I adopted a... a this, is a this is the mind of a 16-year-old. It doesn't really have a lot of common sense going on. A sheepdog. And uh, <laughs> she, her name was Agatha. I named her Agatha. 
and she was a combination poodle and um, an Afghan. She was huge and she was gorgeous, and we, I traveled with her. I don't know. Don't ask me. I just did what I did. That is amazing. So uh, you, I, I know you wanted to be a dancer. Did you always want to be a theatrical dancer, or were you interested in ballet or other types of dance? I was, oh, first of all, I wanted to be a ballerina, and I started in ballet. I love ballet. But in ballet, you have to have very specific physical attributes that I didn't have, even though I had a lot of them. I could, I was very, very limber. I was very good jumper, very good turner, but I didn't have good arches in my feet. Oh. And when you don't have good arches in your feet, there's nothing you can really do. And uh, I and I auditioned for a scholarship for the New York City Ballet and my best friend, who I'm still best friends with, she got the scholarship and they said, your feet are never going to be good enough to be a ballerina. So I said, okay, I'll, you know, you, you can either say, oh, I need or you can start um, taking tap. So I said, I'm going to take tap, jazz, acrobatics, singing, acting, and then I, I said, I want to be in the theater. So that's what happened. I loved the theater until I wanted to be a comedian, then I loved comedy. I'm very lucky to have been able to do things I love. Nice. So, yeah, can you talk a bit about all the shows you did? I mean, you were, you were in some amazing original runs uh, and as a teenager. What was that like, getting into uh, you know, Mac and Mabel, Follies, Magic Show, all of these? It was fantastic. I, you know, I loved every minute of it. And I, people say, oh, you got into so many shows. And I, I always tell people, you should hear the list of shows I didn't get into. Because you just have to keep auditioning and keep going. And sooner or later, you know, if you keep working really hard, you can get what you're, you're aspiring to. So, you know, I just felt so privileged to, to walk down the smelly alley into the, um, the stage door and sign the sign-up sheet. And I really loved it every minute until I got my own part in Annie when I replaced Lily St. Regis on Broadway for a year. And somehow at that point I said, I've been doing this for 10 years, let's try something new. And because uh, there weren't too many stand -up, female stand-ups, so I said, I'll try that. And then I found out that I really love it and I still love it to this day. And I love comedy, and that's how I met my husband, because he was a comedy writer, and he produced comedy shows, and then we started writing together, and we've written this play together. This is our um, second play we've written together, and we wrote lots of movie scripts in Hollywood and, and sold them and had some movies made. Right. And so I, I just think you have to keep developing. I, I don't ever want to stay where I go, okay, that's it, that's all I can, I know how to do, I don't want to learn anything else, I want to keep trying. Sure, constantly moving forward. Yeah, and we we always look at each other, Martin and I, and we go, oh, we got to stop having ideas. But we keep having <laughs> ideas, so we can't help it. We bought this house in, um, a beach house in California, and we knocked it down And as the to build a, a dream beach house, which we did. But as the wrecking ball went through the house that we bought, Martin just said, I've got to stop having ideas. This is so scary. <laughs> But we keep doing it. And then we wrote this play to the crowd, and we found a, a brand new writer, who a musician who wrote all of the songs for us. His name is Jason Fetty, who's so talented. And then I have lots of talented friends, and Martin and I wrote this, and we put it together. This is its third tryout. We tried it out uh, near our beach house in, um, in Laguna Beach for 13 performances, and it went really, really well. And we got this offer to do it in New York at a theater called 59 East 59th, and we're so excited about it, and yet we're nervous. 
I, yeah, I would imagine. I mean, this is, uh, I believe, your first return to doing New York uh, theater work since 81. Is that right? Absolutely. I did have um, a couple offers to do things in New York and in London. And really? I never wanted to. Yeah, I just, but I didn't want to do it. I have a daughter and a husband. And, you know, as, as Jennifer Aniston will tell you, when Brad Pitt went to work with Angelina Jolie, that pretty much <laughs> solidified their divorce. So, you know, I just didn't want to leave my family. And my daughter now is 17. And we, the only reason I can do this is it's the summer and she's off school. She's doing her senior year next year. And she's helping us with the play and she's helping us backstage and she's with us. So I like to keep the family together. The family is always my number one priority, which Certainly. is why um, we're all here and we're doing this together. Oh, that's wonderful. So uh, circling back, uh, you said on your website that you got started in comedy while you were doing Annie, and uh, the language you used on the site says you applied the same learning techniques you acquired as a dancer to comedy. Uh, Can you talk about those learning techniques and what that shift was like? That can't have been easy to completely change industries. Well, I didn't completely change. I still went to ballet class every morning at 10 o'clock. And I just think I applied discipline, which is, um, and I started when I was older, you know, I was 27 when I started comedy. So I was, you know, most people, comedians aren't known for their their disciplinary attributes. So when the joke is, it doesn't matter when you call a comedian, you wake them up because they're <laughs> you're really not very, you know, they go, okay, I'm, okay, I got to do that. But I would say, okay, this I do, I'm going to my own little comedy school. And then I went to the, after ballet class, I'd go to the library, Lincoln Center Library, and I'd get out the albums because even though vinyls are popular today, they were the only thing available at that point. Listening to comedy albums, going to the um, comedy museum, and I remembered my mom had liked Jack Bendy, so I started listening to his old shows because I liked his persona. And then I would go to film festivals in New York, Jacques Tati and Charlie Chaplin and Buster Keaton, Preston Sturgis. And, you know, just kind of absorb everything I could about comedy every day. And my premise was, I have to do this every day. This is my job. And as a Broadway actress, as a dancer, how did that prepare you for this uh, career shift and for, uh, for standing on a stage and being yourself rather than inhabiting a different character? It was a very slow process, you know, because... If you're doing something well right away, you're copying somebody. So you've got to go through a process where you're not doing things exactly right and to learn how to do it. So that's what I did. I just said, I'm, I'm going to get up every, day, every night, no matter where it is, and talk into a microphone. And at that point, it was a fortuitous time because the 80s were, um, I think, the, the magical comedy boom began. And a lot of the comedians from that uh, time are still very, very much here, like Bill Maher and Louis Anderson, who I work with quite a bit, and um, Jerry Seinfeld and Paul Reiser and Paula Poundstone and Roseanne Barr. It was the, we're all from that same era. So I th- and because cable TV was just starting, they needed cheap entertainment, and there was nothing cheaper than a comedian standing in front of a brick wall. <laughs> and it was kind of a marriage made in economic heaven. And you expanded out into cinema. I mean, you did Peter's Friends. You did several movies as an actress. Uh, would you say that your training in theater helped you uh, helped you in that uh, in that field as well? 
Absolutely, because when I was in New York, I tried every acting class available because, you know what, I was never going to be a great actress. I was never going to be a great singer. I could act and I could sing, and dancing I was, was my main, you know, my main talent. But I could see the dedication that you need, and I somehow just had the dedication to be a dan- really good dancer and as best a comedian as I could be. And now I want to write the best show I can write, and it's kind of everything that I've learned all these years coming together where I get to sing. I, I don't dance a lot because, let's face it, I haven't been dancing for a very long time. And, um, but, you know, I, can, I still have that, uh, you know, kind of stage presence that I, I used to have, hopefully. And we're definitely using a lot of stand-up comedy because in this show I do a lot of talking to the audience and I, learning where a joke is is something that I think is invaluable if you're going to write a comedy. Definitely. And can you talk about your professional collaborations with your husband? I mean, Lucy and Desi kept working together, but they broke up. Sonny and Cher kept working together, but they broke up. You guys are still working together, and I think you just celebrated your uh, 30th or 31st anniversary. You're so on it. We just 31st. 31st. 31st anniversary. Happy anniversary. Well, the worst one was Joan Rivers was a comedian, and my husband's English. And Joan Rivers was a comedian, and she married an Englishman, and he committed suicide. So I said, we've got to be very careful here. Oh, my God. (laughs) Because we don't want anything like this to happen. And certainly nothing like this is ever, you know. Well, I think because everybody is different, and our personalities kind of mesh, and we both put who we are as people in front of our careers, and we always have. But we like working together. He always makes me laugh. He still makes me laugh. And because we were in the same, I always thought I should marry somebody who wasn't in show business because I thought, well, you know, the, that's kind of going to be separate, and then I'll be separate. And, that, and you know what? Nothing like that happened. We're like a total collaboration. So... It's a good thing, but again, everybody's different, so everybody has to bring their own personal experience to their relationship, and our personal experience seems to work out. Nice. And you've mm-hmm. collaborated on quite a few different uh, uh, movies and shows and other projects together. Uh, wh- what yeah. is your, uh, what is the process? Like, who generally comes up with an idea? Panic. Panic. Okay. Yeah, you panic, and oh my God, I'm never going to think. You know what? He's the idea guy, really. And he's the force behind it. I, I kind of sit there with my feet on the desk and I throw in things. And But I'm not an organized person. I'm very, you know, in fact, I thought I was coming to New York today and I came yesterday. So, you know, he has to get me on the plane on time. I've never had a calendar. I didn't know what a filing cabinet was. I just stacked things on top of each other before I met him. So he's kind of the organizational thing. But he has two parts of his brain. He has organizational and creative. I only have creative. My organizational left a long time ago. So I think that's why we get, you know, we, we can collaborate because I can be told what to do and then I do it. <laughs> and tell me about Two's a Crowd. How did the show develop? Well, we were living in Las Vegas because I was doing my show every night in Las Vegas. And because we always do things that frighten us, the first thing we did was we created um, a television show called Ask Rita, which we did for a year that syndicated around the country. And then they knocked down the theater where we were doing it in back of the MGM, and we couldn't afford to rent another theater, so we stopped doing that. And we said, we've got to try something because I'm doing stand-up every night. Okay, I'm raising a child, and everything's going well, but let's try to write a play. I don't know. 
So we just tried to write this play, and we had a reading of it in Las Vegas, and it was the beginnings of something. But then we we stopped because um, I think I started writing novels. We started writing novels instead. And when we moved next to this theater, when we built this beach house near this theater, we said, there's a theater right here. And I got people sent me plays, and I did another play that someone had sent me in the theater from London, and then they asked me to do it in London. I didn't want to. And we said, well, let's write our own. So we wrote our own, and then we added all these elements to it, and now we're really proud of it, and we're so proud that we're doing it at this theater in um, on 59th Street because it's, you know, to... to to assemble a show and to perform it in New York is no easy feat, let me tell you. It's quite competitive. So when we were offered this opportunity, we jumped at it. Nice. And and can you tell me about the, the music and creating an original musical? Uh, obviously, that's very different from creating a play. It is. Okay, so we what we do is we keep our eyes and ears um, very attuned to what's going on around us. And I was doing, working in a radio station in Laguna because I was doing some charity work and I was um, uh, promoting a show I was doing for charity in the area. And we happened to meet a uh, singer-songwriter who had written a few songs and gave us his album that he had written. And we invited him over to the house, and we talked to him for a while, and we said, have you ever written a musical? And he said, no. And we said, you're our guy. <laughs> so he, this is the first musical that he's written. He's more of a rock musician. He's had rock albums in England. He's also English. I don't know why I keep going towards the English. And um, this is his first. His name is Jason Fetty. He's super talented. And he's written all the music for our play. We've incorporated it. And um, we're, again, come see it because it's really fun. And also, you know what we wanted to do? We wanted to write a musical that um, concerned older people and older people's problems because everything today seems to be geared towards young people. It drives me crazy. You know, if you can't buy sneakers, they're not interested. So uh, instead of writing, you know, which I, you know, I love Broadway, but again, Tootsie, Beetlejuice, Frozen, they're all movies. And then you go to Jersey Boys and Beautiful, and they're all prepackaged songs. This is a totally original musical, and it concerns real problems that real people have, but it's also very funny and enlightening. That has to be a challenge, I mean, to create a, a real original musical from scratch without any framework to guide it, like a, you know, a jukebox or like a, a pre-existing movie. Yeah, there was no pre-existing condition, <laughs> to coin a phrase. Sure. We just did it from from the ground up. And, uh, well, I get, we have to stop having ideas. It's, they're very difficult. But, again, they're really rewarding when they work out. Was that liberating in its way, to have that kind of that freedom to create something? Or is it easier to have a structure that you know you have to follow? Because I've been a stand-up comedian for so long, and Martin and I have written so many scripts in Hollywood, um, and we found that the movies that we created from scratch and did ourselves were so much more satisfying than going to these meetings and having people say, I mean, people, somebody actually says, told me on page 20 someone has to get shot. And I mm -hmm. said, why? And they said, that's your problem. So, you know, you just have to follow all these guidelines when you're working for people. But the minute people start paying you, you have to do what they say. 
the minute you're doing something for free because you love it, you get to do what you want to do. And that's what I found with stand-up. Nobody was paying me. I got to, you know, so I got to do what I wanted to do and say how I wanted to say, wear what I wanted to wear. And that's the same thing creating a musical when you're just doing it because you want to do it and you love it and you're not working for people. You get to say what you want to say, which is why I got to put in a lot of jokes about being an older woman and an older woman's role in um, society these days and problems that people have that we've known people have had instead of, you know, something that, oh, look, there's uh, The Graduate, let's make a musical. No, I didn't want to do that. So after so many years, how does it feel to be back on the New York stage again? What's different now? Uh, is it exciting? Is it intimidating? Or is it's it just so another refreshing job? Because this, well, my youth was spent in New York. So when I walk around New York, it's just so energizing. You know, I mean, I love our beach house because I get to look at the waves, but they don't really um, inspire you to do something creative. They relax you. In New York, you're just inspired to do something because you see all these people around and there's so many things to do. And Las Vegas is kind of like a mini tacky New York. And that was really <laughs> fun, too, because it is, because, you know, you get a lot of entertainment, but, you know, a lot of it is share in the wig. But anyway, you got share here now, too. This is true. But this, this is something that makes me feel very, very, very at home. I know where everything is. I know how to get everywhere. And I just have to avoid all boyfriends and I'll have a lot of fun. Wonderful. So, Two's a Crowd with a book by Rudner and Bergman and music and lyrics by Jason Fetty and direction by Bergman begins performances on Saturday, July 13 and is scheduled to run through Sunday, August 25th. Rita Rudner, comedy legend, Broadway dancer, thank you so much for talking with us today and for sharing all your stories. Thank you so much for having me. You know what I'm going to do now because it's really a homemade production. And um, I'm going to go. We have two wigs that I have to find a wig shop to get the wig styled. And then I have a lot of props in a suitcase that I brought with me. I've got to distribute those. So it's really a homemade production, and it's um, so satisfying, and I'm looking forward to seeing everybody there. I'm looking forward to seeing the show as well. I'm see- I think I'm seeing it yes, next week. Yes, please come back and say hello. I, will, I would love that. Thank you so much, and, and enjoy the run. And thank you again for talking with us. Thank you. I'm going to go wake my daughter up. Have a wonderful day. You too. Thank you. Bye. Okay, bye-bye.